Orlando, Florida, they're always popping fireworks. And so I thought, it, you know, I thought normal fireworks. I hear fireworks, you know, out of nowhere. And I, I look over to my friend and I tell him, man, like, that's crazy. I hear the fireworks more closer than ever. And he was like, that's strange. Like, they're really loud. And it, in that instant, I hear screaming. I hear run for your life. And I hear all kinds of shooting going on. And literally my friend looked at me before he got shot and he says in Spanish, run. And I remember just going home and yelling and just in my room screaming out and saying, God, like you must hate me. Like I'm a gay man. I've tried to pray the gay away. I don't know what to do. Like this is how I am. And out of nowhere, while I'm on my face on the floor, I feel a wind come into the room like never before and I feel like the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear it's not a gate a straight thing it's a lost to safe thing well Luis is an honor to have you on the channel today uh, for the people who may not know you who maybe had never seen you could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are yeah my name is Luis J Ruiz and I was born in Nuremberg Germany and my parents are were actually from Puerto Rico and I am a combat army veteran. Man. Luis, like I said, it's an honor to have you here today. You have a beautiful, powerful testimony uh, that I'm really excited for people to be able to hear. Let's start with your life before Jesus. Uh, growing up, did you know about Jesus? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I remember growing up well in a military home. We were in Germany, and so my parents, they flew from Puerto Rico to Germany, and I just remember not really hearing anything about Jesus, about God. Um, my dad was out of, you know, he was out in the field a lot, in training. And so I remember just being around my sister a lot and my mom. And so even then just picking up their kind, their mannerisms. I remember also uh, being Catholic. We were part of the Catholic community. And so we were more Catholics like on tradition, holidays. That's when we would actually go to church. And that's all I knew about it. I remember, I think, I was getting my first communion, and then after that, the Lord had actually intervened in our lives, and uh, we almost had an accident in California where we almost died as a family, and I think that's where the Lord had met my mom and dad, and from then, they well, gave— If you don't mind me asking really quick, Luis, what, what was that that happened and what, what was that accident? Yeah, so we were on our way to Disney World, and I remember uh, on the highway, the car out of nowhere starts spinning. And um, I don't if you know California, there's a lot of dips. So like if you actually, you know, leave the highway part, you're going to go all the way down like a mountain sort of. And so I remember like it had to be an angel of the Lord that literally like placed us on the side of the highway right before the point of drop off. And so my dad, I remember my dad saying, we need to find a church. We need to, we need to find God. And so the Lord spared us from that. And that's when my parents gave their life to Jesus. Now we're starting to go to a Protestant church, a Pentecostal church, a Hispanic Pentecostal church. And that's when I started to learn about who Jesus was. I started to go to Sunday school. Our lives have changed because my parents went from being party animals to now they're in the church and now we're going to church every single day. And so uh, just remembering that, you know, uh, my life was just seven days a week in the church. And so... Um, How was that for you going from no church to now being in church? Is that something that you really enjoyed? Like, what was that experience like for you as a kid? Yeah. So because I was such a small kid, it, it was awesome because now I was introduced to like Sunday school with a bunch of kids and, and the church family was really fun too. So, um, you know, it was a Hispanic church. So we always ate after church. We always hung out together. And so I didn't see much of a transition just that now they're not alcoholics and there's no curse words going on. And, and I mean, there was a, as a kid, that was a crazy transition for me, but, you know, I was a kid, so. Yeah. Tell us about your life growing up and now growing up in a church, but then also being exposed to the world. Yeah, so um, growing up, I remember that I was feeling a little different 
when it came to sexuality. I was starting to have butterflies when I would see attractive men on TV, and I didn't know where that was coming from. I honestly thought that I was sick, like there was something wrong with me. And so there was a lot of shame and guilt growing up. Um, so I, I come from my dad, I'm my dad's only son. And so I'm the man of the house. I'm supposed to carry the last name, bring in the grandchildren, especially in a Puerto Rican family. And so for me, that was really hard. And so from a young age, I learned to lie and deceit my parents having fake girlfriends when in reality I wanted to be with their brothers you know and just hiding this struggle that I have inside of me and right now it's celebrated and it's talked more but when I was growing up I remember you'd get beat up at school if they even talked about it um, you would get uh, I mean they would literally treat you like a plague and so I was so scared of that that you know I used to see feminine guys at school they would uh you know, say that they're gay or act a certain way and they would get beat up. And so I didn't want that. And so I hid it for a long time. Like I said, I was dating girls, you know, I was doing, I was hiding it really well. And so, yeah, so I remember just uh, carrying that. And finally, my high school, uh, my senior year, I met a girl that was a lesbian and she was really cool. She was really popular. Everybody loved her. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, like, what if that's me? Like, what if I come out the closet and instead of getting me getting beat up because I'm masculine and because I like sports and I'm different, maybe it might just change history around. And so she actually kind of almost helped me to come out of the closet. And so I remember just, I got to a point where I was so high, I was so tired of hiding this and, and, and just not being myself that I just came out. I came out and I told everybody I'm gay and I really didn't care who didn't like me or what because this is who I am. This is who I thought I was. And so in that transition, I remember I did get popular. And now I'm a prom king in high school. And, um, you know, everyone's like, wow, you're so different. And and now I'm going to the gay clubs. And it's like a little kid at a candy store. And, you know, I really believe that when you train your children in the word, they'll never depart from it. And that's what I'm so thankful that my parents were always, you know, sharing the word of God with me. And so throughout, it was, that was also a struggle growing up because I knew God's word, but I also feel a certain way. And so for me, that was a wrestle. I, I didn't know how to move forward in life with this because the Bible says it's it's not only just a sin, but it's a heightened sin, you know? And, and so I'm like, but this is how I feel. Like if God, you know, made me this way, I, you know, it got almost to the point where I believed that I was born this way because it came from such an early age that, you know, I really did feel that I was born that way. And so um, I remember just, when I didn't find answers in the church or with my family, because that wasn't really talked about, you know, the church didn't really talk about it. And I went and found answers outside, you know? And so, uh, Louis, sorry. What was your parents' reaction as, as all of this was unfolding? Yeah. So I remember actually going to college and my mom was taking me back to my dorm room and there was a lady on the radio station and she was talking super bad about the homosexual community. I mean, she was just like, they're going to hell in a handbasket and they're going to get AIDS. And I mean, we love the prostitute. We love the drug addict. But when just hearing this lady on the radio talking so bad about what I was going through, it really got me to the point where I was like, you know, very offended. And I'm telling my mom at that moment, mom, turn that off or let's, let's listen to something else. And she was just like, why? Like, this is the truth. This is the gospel. And and it got to the point where me and my mom started arguing in the car on her birthday. And I look over to her and I say, well, mom, she's talking about me. Hmm. And I remember my mom looking really sad and looked over to me and she said, it's my birthday and you had to tell me this. And I just remember her crying, crying. And I remember her saying, we can't tell your dad because it's going to break him. It's going to, you know, it, he, I don't know what he's going to do. And so I remember just going, she dropped me off and just I'm standing there and I'm watching her cry and drive away. And that really broke my heart. And then uh, as soon as I came by the next weekend, my father already knew. So she's telling me not to say anything for no one to say anything. And my dad already knew. I remember because he didn't 
know a lot and in in this conversation you know he's never really had to deal with it and so he sat me down and as a father he was just drilling me down and just you know hey you know that homosexuals are going to hell and you'll never make it in life you know he was just trying to be a father he just didn't know the best way to go about it and so for many years that caused a divide with me and my dad's relationship we we didn't talk for years we talked like really quick a quick I love you and it almost seemed like it was just checking the box and so I just remember for my parents it was a very hard place um they became actually pastors of a church and so now they're pastoring a church and it's very difficult because I'm so out of the closet at this point I remember people knocking on my dad's my dad's uh, office door and saying we can't have Luis hang out with the Jovenes with the youth of the church because his spirit is going to jump on our kids spirit and mm. so you know we need him separated or you know and then they would tell him things like you're trying to lead us and trying to uh, be a pastor, but you can't even get your own house right. And so as a father, you know, we talk now and, and stuff, and he tells me how not just only embarrassment and shame and condemnation, but it was hard for him to lead as a pastor, as a father. He didn't know how to love me in this situation because, you know, like I said, at this at this time in life, they didn't really talk about it. You didn't really hear about it, actually. So a lot of pastors, a lot of parents didn't know what to do with their children. And so... Um, seeing my mom cry a lot, seeing my sister. My sister was actually the only one that really knew, and she actually stood by me, and she was there for me, which I'm so thankful to this day. And But seeing my mom cry, you know, it just burned something inside of me to where I felt I needed to move. I felt like I needed to move far away from my family so that they're not hurting anymore, so they're not, you know, seeing this pain. And so that's what I did. I told and you know what, and all of this as, as well... I always prayed the gay away. I always tried and asked God to make me straight. You know, I, I was just like, man, like, I don't know. I, like, I just want to be straight. I Please take this away from me. Because contrary to what they tell you, there's always this pain inside. There's always this hurt. And the only one that was able to feel that is Jesus. And so I just remember it was a struggle. I would go into churches and because there were moments in time in my, in, you know, walking in the gay lifestyle where I was like, man, I miss church. I miss hearing worship. I just, there's something inside of the house that I couldn't find, you know, having sex with men or drugs or alcohol. And so just taking me back in, I remember churches trying to, you know, because they didn't know as well. Um, and I'm very sensitive to that because they honestly, a lot of them just don't know. It's not, you know, that they treated me bad. It's that they don't know how to do this. And so they would try to marry me off. I remember I would come to the altar, give my life to Jesus. And like the next day, they're like, look at all these girls right here. We'll marry you off. Instead of working on the root issues that I had inside, they were that for them, that was the fruit of the spirit. And it's like, no, what about what I'm going through in here? The hurt, the unmet trauma, the pain that I'm carrying and it would scare me. I wasn't ready to commit to a girl. I didn't even know what was going on with me um, suffering with same-sex attractions that I would run back to the LGBTQ, you know? And so um, joining the army now, because I thought that that would turn me into this like heterosexual man. And it actually made me more sexually promiscuous because even in the military, there are a lot of like in the closet man, especially when we would deploy to Iraq, you know, all of a sudden these guys that were faithful to their wives are no longer being intimate with them. And so now they go to the bros because they feel that sleeping with a guy is uh, is better than cheating on your wife with a, another female. That was a disaster, a recipe for uh, disaster. The enemy knew what he was doing. Um, I remember getting caught in Iraq. When I was deployed in Iraq, I got caught with a letter in my barracks room of a boyfriend that I was dating. And I remember they put me in the, this is before the don't ask, don't tell policy, um, where you don't, they don't ask you and you don't tell them, but they can find out other ways. And they did by a letter. And so this was before the military had, you know, where you're now allowed to openly serve gay. This was way before that. So they put me in front of formation in front of my whole company 
company and I just remember them saying, this is not what a United States army looks like. We don't have queers or homosexuals in the army. And I just remember that hurting me so much that an activist grew out of me. And I got to the point where I was an activist for the LGBTQ and I was like, I'm a gay man, take it or leave it. This is who I am. And I remember just living that life. I would tell my parents, I'm never going to bring a girl home, so don't try it. I mean, I really gave into this. Like, it became my identity. It became everything that I was. And so in that, I just remember going to my parents' house and trying to get them to accept my boyfriends, trying to get them home for dinner. And my sister shares this now, so I'm, I'm able to share this. But she would bring guys home who she was sleeping with, and my parents would know it. She was allowed at the dinner table with the guy, but I wasn't allowed to bring my boyfriend home that I was sleeping with to the dinner table. So, And like I said, there was even in the church, like this has been something that, you know, it, it gets a lot of people and they make this sin a lot bigger than other sins. And it's okay to have heterosexual sin behind the doors, but not like homosexuals. And so it got to the point where my parents, they were very prophetic. They were, they were prayer warriors and the Holy Spirit actually, um, they got in the prayer closet one day and they said, we don't know what to do anymore, God. We have prayed. We have, we grew him up in the word. We taught him the word of God since he was a babe. Like, what do we do? And they felt the Holy Spirit tell them that, release him to me, he's mine. It was one of them. And then the second one, they said, invite the boyfriends home. And they were just like, wait, we, what? <laughs> that must be in the flesh. Like, we can't do that. And I remember uh, they, they felt like this peace because they were just like, wow, because the Lord was actually showing them in all this that Luis is not your only assignment. And so in their hearts, they were just like, wow, we were so selfish thinking that salvation was only for our son. And so as they started bring my, um, uh, they called me one day and they said, you know what? Go ahead, bring them home, bring them for dinner. And I'm on the phone and I'm like, oh, I'm telling my boyfriends, they're going to kill us. Like, I need you to bring a baseball bat. I need you. I don't know. Like, for them to say for us to come to dinner, that's huge. Like, I don't, I don't know how to take this right now. And so I remember bringing them home. And I kid you not, with their love and their expression of Jesus without beating people with a Bible, they were just having relationship with these guys. These guys were coming to Jesus. There was a revival happening at home to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm not bringing no more guys home. <laughs> like, I'm not bringing them home because they're coming to Jesus. Like, forget that. And so, yeah. And so, uh, fast forward, remember, like, after I got out the military, or well, I was transitioning out the military, I was drunk one night. I was in Orlando, Florida now. And I just remember going back, you know, uh, being really heavily in the LGBT, just partying all the time. And, and it just now I'm on it. I'm on like Famous Magazine as a masculine army man, man, Latino man. And so now, you know, I'm getting popular in the Orlando gay scene everywhere. And I just remember um, really being drunk one night, like really wasted. And I was driving around. And out of a sudden, I ended up in a church. And I don't know how I got there. Well, I know now, but I didn't know then, like, whoa, like out of all the places, like you'd think I stopped at a gas station to get gas. No, I stopped at a church at a, you know, and they were having worship and they were, and I was just like, wow, it's three in the morning, but it sounds really cool in here. And me drunk, crazy, I walk up in there and I get hit like with this wind, like this power. And I'm like, I start crying, getting emotional. And I sit down and, you know, this lady sits next to me, this little Latina lady. And she just, um, she looks at my tattoos and I'm like, oh Lord, she's about to talk about my tattoos. And she's about to like hit me with scriptures. And she just looks at me and she goes, son, you have a story to tell. Like these tattoos are amazing. I bet there's a lot of stories here. And she was just getting to the root of my heart. She wasn't like condemning me or, and I just remember in that, like I broke down and I said the prayer of salvation with her. And I just remember feeling so like, there's just like this peace on my heart that I didn't have to like right away, like get rid of things. And just at that moment, just kind of seize that moment and just say, you know, I, I don't know how to do this, but I'm just going to say yes to this right now and see how it works. 
And that's exactly what I did. And I remember like just feeling like a weight lifted off of my chest. I felt so good. I couldn't stop smiling. And then out of nowhere, I feel the urge to delete Facebook, delete Instagram. Like I literally like went ghost for a whole year. I stopped talking to friends, changed my phone number because I just felt like that was the best route to go to just stay away from my past. And so, you know, being away for a whole year, I'm going to church and, you know, just doing the God thing and and trying to um, meet him there. And so I just remember getting a lot of like Bible knowledge. And honestly, I felt like that's what mostly it was for for me in that season. I remember little, little times in my life where I'd meet with the men in in the church and they were really um, quick to talk about pornography issues and their lust with women. And I mean, they could go really in on how they were lusting for women and and breakthrough would happen. But when I rose my hand and said, you know what, I have same-sex attractions and I struggle with gay porn, I felt like a pandemic hit in the room, like I was the plague. Like, And it went from inviting me to barbecues and to go play sports with them and to hang out with them to very long distant handshakes and things like we're praying for you brother and it's like wait you were hugging me like two days ago and you were kissing me on the forehead and you told me you loved me and and so I feel like the enemy used that and I got really bitter and hard and I, I just said you know what I'm just gonna do this on my own it's just me and you, Jesus. I remember that's what I was saying. And I didn't want to share with no one. And when you do things alone, the enemy loves that, you know? And so I literally stopped having community. I closed up. I didn't open up to people. And so that was another disaster, um, another recipe of disaster for me. Um, Did your parents hear about this, about this time when when you basically said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go after God? Yeah, they did, actually. Um, My dad was just, like, he felt it different. Like, he was like, he's there, but he's not there. Like, something's going on. My mom was just super happy. She was excited. And, you know, for that whole year, like, they were just like, wow, like, God is doing something big in him. I'm just glad he's in, you know, in the church right now. But, you know, your mom's, your mom and dad always knows. And I remember my mom um, just getting this dream and the Lord's like using her in a prophetic in a big way. And she had this dream and she called me one day. And mind you, this is when all of a sudden I'm now quiet. I'm not in community. I'm keeping my struggles to my own. And the Lord speaks to her and says, you know, in the dream shows her, shows me at a club, at a nightclub. And there's blood all over my clothes and I'm running for my life. And she said, in this dream, she's looking down, looking at all this happening. And all of a sudden I look up and I say, mom, help me. And she instantly woke up. And I remember her calling me and telling me the dream and I'm just laughing. And I'm like, mom, I'm back in church trying to hide that I've been struggling for a while. I'm like, how does this woman know? (laughs) You know, and I just, uh, she was just like, no, I just really feel a heaviness on this dream. I've had many dreams, but this one, I mean, I believe she called up everybody in Texas to pray. (laughs) And so um, I remember, uh, you know, just hanging up the phone with her and I was just like, whoa, that's crazy. Whoa. It's a good thing that I'm not clubbing. That's what, you know, I felt. It's a good thing that I'm not going out to the gay clubs anymore. I'm at church, you know. And so I remember also about a couple weeks later, I um, there's a man, a prophet that comes to our church. And I'm coming home late from work. And I stop at the church. I sit down in the back row. And I'm just there. Now, I'm not, literally, I'm checking out our I'm just going to check the box that I'm going to church. I'm like on my last thread. I'm, I'm struggling with the same-sex attractions and everything that's going on. And so I ended up at the church. He calls me to the front. Out of everyone, he, he says, you, you know, with the haircut like mine. He's like, come up to the front. And I come up to the front. And I remember him just releasing a word and just saying, I see you in legislation. I see you with pastors that have been pastors for years, big pastors, small pastors. I see you giving wisdom and they're asking you for wisdom. I haven't seen this all in this revelation right now. He was like, you know, I don't know where God's going to take you, but I, I, you're in high places. You're in 
all types of community just sharing strategy, strategy. And I'm like thinking to myself and I'm looking around and I'm like, he must got the wrong guy <laughs> because I don't understand no political language. I'm not in school for it. Or I don't see myself giving wisdom to pastors that have been pastors for years. And, and then in that moment, he said, but I also see you running for your life. I see that they, that you're running and you're just, there's gunshots. And, and then he asked the church to get up and lay hands on me. Later on, I find out that there were three people in the church that the Lord told them would leave the Lord, that something big was going to happen, that they would leave the Lord. And I was the third one that walked in right as he was finishing prof prophesying to the second person. And so God was after me. God was after me for a while. And so I remember just, um, it was my birthday weekend. And I saw two friends of mine at the mall, and they invited me to go hang out at first at Gay Days and then also Pulse Nightclub. And, you know, I was struggling and I said, you know what, I'm going to go. Maybe they understand me there. And so um, when I was there, when I, I had come back to church and I remember everyone celebrating my birthday and two friends of mine were dropping me off to this hotel that I got because I just felt that I wanted to stay there for my birthday, knowing that I was actually going to go to the club and they were fighting with me in the car. I mean, it was a struggle. They wanted me to stay with them. They were just these two friends of mine um, that I lived with, actually. They were like, no, let's go downtown. We love you so much. We want to celebrate with you. Like, we want to be with you on your birthday. We don't want you to be alone because they're thinking that I'm just going to go to the hotel to be alone. Um, because it's my birthday weekend. But in reality, I was going to go to the club, but they didn't know that. And they're fighting with me in the car. And they're just like, hey, we just feel from the Lord to be, to surround you right now. We love you so much. Please let us like, you know, and in my mind, my mind's made up. Like I'm going out, <laughs> you know, I just, to me, I'm like, no one's going to stop me. I just need to be around people that quote unquote, understand me. And I remember just um, getting to my hotel, getting ready a friend calls me and says, I'm going to go pick you up. They invited us to this house party. And, you know, in gay clubs, the drinks are super expensive. So what we do in Orlando is we have a pre-party before we go out to the club. And so uh, my friend had a lot of food there, had a lot of liquor. There was no reason for us to go out to the club because everything was there. And so I remember seeing my friend Angel Cologne there. And he was, you know, uh, he had came to the house and we were, you know, he approached me and he was like, I haven't seen you. Where have you been? And, you know, in a way I felt like a little bit of embarrassment or shame to say, oh man, like, you know, I've been in church. And so he asked me, he goes, are you going to go to Pulse tonight? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I'll see you there. He left a little early. But um, before that, I remember all of us taking pictures um, together and just there was a struggle. Like some people did not want to go. A lot of people that are no longer with us. Um, I remember them saying like, hey, we have alcohol here. It's free. We have food here. There is no reason to go out. So like for honestly, like 30 minutes in that house, there was a struggle and not everyone made it back. I remember getting into Uber cars and we went to the club and in the club, everyone was having a good time. I saw a lot of people that I haven't seen because I was gone for a year. So that was a question of the night for me. Like, where have you been? What have you done? I remember even bumping into people that I preached the gospel to which yeah. was crazy for me. And them telling me, wait, like you really convinced me. Like I was thinking about it and, but here you are. And I'm like, here I am. And so it was just, the Lord literally was on like these last few weeks and stuff. When, before I went out to the club, even at the club, I remember um, dancing and just having a good time saying hi to everybody. And then all of a sudden it was last call for alcohol. Um, mind you, um, in Orlando, Florida, they're always popping fireworks. And so I thought it, we, you know, I thought normal fireworks, I hear fireworks, you know, out of nowhere. And I, I look over to my friend and I tell him, man, like, that's crazy. I hear the fireworks more closer than ever. And he was like, that's strange. Like they're really loud. And it, in that instant, I hear screaming, I hear run for your life. And I hear all kinds of shooting going on. I remember at that moment, I was so stunned and because I had been drinking, it's almost like I froze up 
all the military training that I got when I deployed to Iraq never prepared me for a night like this. I remember just hearing the gunshots, uh, people saying, run for your life. Um, my friend jumped in front of me or jumped in front where I was at and he got shot. His boyfriend jumped in front of him and he got shot. And literally my friend looked at me before he got shot. He says in Spanish, run. And that's when I quickly reacted and I started to run. And all I see, I turn around and I see bodies on the floor, blood all over the floor. I see uh, people are running into the bathrooms. They're running into places to hide. Um, I see this door. I run out of it. Um, as I'm running out, people are jumping over the fence. I wasn't going to jump over the fence because it was too high. We see this place where we could kick down a fence. So me and this guy, we start kicking down the fence. We were able to kick it open. My leg gets stuck in there somehow and it twists and I fall to the floor. I'm in so much pain right now that I couldn't even get up. I couldn't get up and there's a door right next to me and it, sw it was open. And I remember just seeing the shooter and hearing the shots get closer and closer. At that moment, I only thing I knew how to do was to pick up my phone and to call my mom and dad and to say I'm sorry and to say that I love them. And I remember just picking up the phone to call my mom and she picked up and at the instant, imagine your mom like hearing late at night and she's hearing gunshots on the phone and everything. And all of a sudden my battery dies. And so I'm sitting there like, I'm about to die. And I couldn't even talk to my mom and ask for forgiveness or anything. And I remember out of nowhere, this guy comes into the club or where that area where I was at, this patio area, and he picks me up and he walks me over to the 7-Eleven across the street. And so I remember just sitting down and hearing gunshots go off. I mean, it was just going off and off. I remember just hearing screaming for hours. I was hearing screaming. And to my mind, I'm like, where are the paramedics? Where are the police? Where is everybody? What's going on? And out of nowhere, this lady walks up and she goes, what's going on here? And I'm like, please, can you call the cops? My friends are in the club and like, they need help. Like, please call them. And I remember her just lifting her arm up and she started praying and then she looks at me and she tells me you're not supposed to be here and she walks away I don't even know where she went at this point and I'm just like whoa like this is crazy and I'm and, and I'm still hearing you know shots going off and all of a sudden the police came and the paramedics and that whole night uh, people being evacuated um, out of there I remember um, the, the helicopters surrounding the whole area. It was a very crazy night. Um, when I could, I was helping people in the 7-Eleven with the first aid training that I got in the military. I was able to assess the wounds and I helped out my friend that was bleeding out because he was shot. He didn't even realize he was bleeding. And I look at him, I'm like, whoa, like there's blood all over. And we see that there's a gunshot wound. I, I get, you know, napkins and everything. And I assist him with first aid and help him out and you know we're just sitting there at all because we can't believe that this happened I never would have thought that my mom's dream would have came to pass I never would have thought that that could have been my last night and by the grace of God and his mercy and a praying mom and dad I really feel like the Lord was on this and that I was able to come out of their life I remember a couple weeks after that um well going back I remember just sitting in the hospital because I was in pain and hurting and I remember just texting friends and saying hey like did you make it out okay are you okay where are you at and then to see their names pop up on the tv screen dead 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 there was 49 people that died that night 49 of our friends that died and didn't make it out alive a lot of people that were in that party with us the pre-party didn't make it back and so I'm grieving I'm hurting I remember seeing some of the people, some of the church that came there, there was there was people that in the name of Christ that I don't believe had Christ at all. Um, we're, we're throwing up signs like God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Uh, they would say things like judgment. Yeah, that's what those homosexuals get. And so right now, like me grieving and then seeing that on TV, 
My heart was getting bitter. I was getting angry at the church, at the Lord. While that was happening, uh, about a couple months later, I get an email saying, hey, I need you to go check your, um, I, I need all those post survivors to go get check. Because uh, um, unfortunately, a lot of people that died were HIV positive or had AIDS. And so I remember just because I was grieving and I was getting sick, I didn't think nothing of it. I mean, I was living a sexually promiscuous life, but I just didn't think, you know, that anything. And so I remember making the, uh, I went to the HIV clinic and I made the guy do it three times. Because in my head, for some ignorant reason, I was thinking that, you know, I was a pastor's son, so I, I, I'm not going to get this. Or um, I was in the United States Army, I'm not going to get this. And, you know, just ignorant things that I was thinking. And the guy on the third round, he said, I need you to sit down. I hate this about my job, but you're HIV positive. And I remember at that moment hitting the ground crying. Because I was just like, I can't believe this is happening right now. And this, all this is happening all at once. Like, I can't believe this is happening. And I do want to say that there was a lot of people of the church that did show love, that did pray for me, that did go and pray for the post survivors, that showed God's love and mercy. And I'm so thankful for that. And I remember just going home and yelling and just in my room screaming out and saying, God, like... You must hate me. Like, I'm a gay man. I've tried to pray the gay away. I, I, I don't know what to do. Like, this is how I am. And I remember just crying and screaming the loudest I've ever screamed and cried in my whole life. And out of nowhere, while I'm on my face on the floor, I feel a wind come into the room like never before. And I feel like the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, it's not a gay to straight thing. It's a loss to safe thing. I want all of your heart, not just your sexuality. I want you. And in that, I just broke down. And little by little, I'm starting to read the Bible again in my room. That's where I'm having church. I'm watching YouTube videos of preachers and pastors and just little, because I wasn't ready to go back to the church. I wasn't ready to do that whole thing again because I've been trying to do it like basically all of my life. And I remember the Lord just saying, now I want you to find a church where you can get discipled, where you can get mentored, you can sit under leaders that have been doing this for years. And so I said, I'm going to give it a chance again. And I ended up at a church where I'm being fathered and I'm being loved. And um, in that, I just, I remember just being in the shower and just crying out to the Lord and, and saying, man, like, these struggles don't go away. What's going on? And I don't know what to do. And how are you going to use me? You know, I'm struggling with this still. And 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 the temptations are harder. And I don't even see you using me. And all of a sudden in the shower, like, I feel the Holy Spirit again. And he says, you haven't forgave yourself and you haven't forgave the shooter. And so there were things that the Lord was trying to meet in me and, and do before ministry, before all these things. And I remember just getting out the shower and I felt this boldness come on me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to share my testimony. If, if that's ministry or whatever, or I'm, I'm going I'm to do that. And I remember just sharing my testimony. Mind you, I didn't think it was on public mode at all. And so I just think it's friends, family, church people that know me. So I'm not, you know, with Pulse happening. Now they're seeing me as a hero of the LGBT community and someone that is respected and loved. And so I tried my best to not offend. I didn't want to hurt because I was so connected with the survivors. I was so connected to this community. And so for me, when I shared my testimony, I shared it in so much boldness. I couldn't even believe that I wrote that. And so I said, I'm going to hit send and I hit send and I, I shared, you know, everything that, L that I know longer identify as LGBTQ. And, and in this, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, love is love. You know, they'll understand me. It's my test, my story. They love me. They accept it all. You know, this is the in the time where they're fi fighting for the equality bill. So in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm, I fall under that, you know, so they're going to understand my story and my testimony. Everything's going to be cool. And my sister, you know, calls me and she's like, I need you to go check your social media. And I'm like, oh, no, people are I'm thinking to myself, you know, people are all from church are in the comment section because there was a lot of people that were saying you had us fooled, you know, for a whole year you were going to church, you had us fooled and we can't believe that this and that. And, and like I said, it's a lot of people that didn't understand. 
And so at the moment, I didn't think that. I was like, oh, I, I can't believe this is happening to me right now. You know, I hate the church. That's what I was saying. And I just remember looking at my social media, my Facebook, and it goes viral. I'm talking about people. I, I look at it and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's on public. And all of a sudden, it just goes far. I mean, I'm looking at CNN, NBC, Fox, all these news channels sharing Pulse Survivor no longer identifies as homosexual and turns to Jesus. And now people like Ben Shapiro and, and all these people are now sharing my story and it's going viral. The LGBT community in Orlando is going crazy with this story all of a sudden like they're doing hashtags like save Luis not like that he saved but save him out of that cult what Mm. they think I was in and I just you know in that it was very very hard because for the first time I understood what persecution meant I understood that for this I would have to pay the price and carry the cross for this and that's when the Lord in his love and mercy was showing me like they left you they turned their backs on you but I didn't. I'm still here with you. And that's where I was starting to feel the Father's love for me as an orphan that I thought I was, as someone that didn't understand. And I remember just little by little learning His love for me. And so in that, it was very hard. I remember just all kind of news, all kind of entertainment. We're talking about this at this moment. You know, um, half of the church didn't know what to do with this. And so I was struggling with this for a long time all by myself. And so that's where the Lord met me. And I'm super grateful He met me there, surrounded me with other people that have come out of the lifestyle. Because that's another thing. I thought I was like the only one. And, you know, I'm now God out of, out of nowhere. There's people all around the world saying, We stand with you keep fighting the good fight. That was my story too. And that wrecked me forever that, that, you know, I met, then I find out that my friend Angel Cologne also, you know, from Pulse nightclub gave his life to Jesus. And so that sparked a fire in me that, wow, I'm not the only one. And, and God is moving in this community. And then from there, you know, uh, getting mentored, discipled and learning more about God, all of a sudden I'm now speaking in communities. I'm speaking in colleges. I'm going in political arenas, just like the prophetic word. I never thought now I'm where legislation is saying that we are fighting for equality bill. Everything's equal as long as I don't share my story. So there's no equal equal in equality. You know, things like uh, love is love until you decide that your message is different. Then all of a sudden love is war. And so learning just like to stand with God and Him standing with me and just leaning on Him, really surrendering my struggles, my identity to Him. Because I, like I said earlier, I was trying to pray the gay way. And, that, and I do want to emphasize that there's power in prayer. There's power in the name of Jesus. But I was making that almost a God. Like that was my only thing. I was, turn me straight, turn me straight. And it's like, wait, you're a hot mess. There's a lot going on in your life that I want you to surrender to. There are places in your life where has not met Jesus yet. And I want to meet you there. And so um, I had to surrender that. I had to give that to the Lord. And in that, he not only just changed my desires, but they actually became his desires. And so longer my ways of how I thought my way became his ways. And so now he was the best leader as what identity means. Jesus was the best. He represented identity more than anything because the father represents identity. And I just, you know, even in the word, like Moses was an example when he asked, who do I say, send me, send me. And God says, tell them the I am sent me. And that that was just a big moment moment where God shows his identity. And then Jesus says, let them know that I am the truth. I am the way and I am the light. So in this, he's saying, I am. So now he's teaching me how to walk into my identity as a man. And now I'm so thankful that he created me as a man. I know society right now doesn't understand what a man or a woman is. And I'm so thankful that he walked me into that and that I love being not only just a man, but a kingdom masculine man after his heart. And so just, just, it's been such an amazing experience. Walk with the Lord. Did temptations go away? Absolutely not. But now I have the weapons. Now I get to put on the armor of Christ and get to fight the good fight. And that actually builds character, you know, that produces a love for me to know that I'm never alone.
man. I didn't mean to start preaching, but no, <laughs> no. Thank you, man. How did your uh, and I want to bring this back, right? Like your parents, you know, they've they've been praying for you, they've been patient, and at some point were even impatient, right? But as this transformation is happening in your life, and even through the tragedy, um, what was their reaction? Your family. How did they react to to all of this that's, that was happening? Yeah, so um, I remember when uh, my mom hangs up the phone and this was really, really hard because she was remembering the dream that she had. And now to see that it become a reality and all she heard was gunshots. I just remember my sister the next day getting on a plane with zero money in her account, which is another supernatural move from God. And then my parents flew over and they were with me in the time of grieving, the time of hurt and pain. And they prayed for others, other friends of mine. And for them, they just, they could have went straight to, this is what the dream was. And this was what God was telling. And, and you know, God's calling. And, but they decided to show love. They decided, they decided to embrace me with hugs. My mom slept right next to me till I went to bed because I couldn't sleep. I, I was thinking that he was going to come for me or I was having bad nightmares for days and my sister being with me and they never left me, you know. And, and so um, for them, that was a moment where they were, where they, they were able to seize that moment in love. That really was a lot of healing for me. But at the same time, now that the Lord's doing stuff with me and, and, and I'm moving in a different direction, they're seeing God's finger on me. And God literally like tells my dad, now I, I, I know you've been faithful in pastoring. I know that you have a church of like almost seven churches that you lead here in El Paso, Texas. But I want you to give that up and I want you to fly down and be a part of what Luis is doing in his ministry. I want the family unit to be together. And so without no thought or anything, he said, you know what, I'm going to trust God in this. And they left it all and they moved to Orlando, Florida to be a part of what God was doing in my life and ministry. And they've been super supportive in prayer, um, you know, advising and counseling me and correcting me. And, and so but it's been such a beautiful journey that what the enemy meant for harm to destroy our family, God has reunited the family group together. And even with my dad and, and me, our relationship has gotten so much better. I find out later on that my father was abused as a child and by neighbors. And so because of that, he didn't know how to love me or, uh, I mean, he loved me, but he didn't know how to show me enough emotions just because in his heart. Heart, he felt that if he gave in too much to that, that I would become gay. And so there was a lot of unmet trauma that he was carrying that he didn't know how to deal with. And so as a father, that, you know, that was really hard for us, you know, as his only son. And so um, we got to heal in that. Now we get to like preach tag team as a father and a son. We get to share both sides of that healing process. And it's so beautiful. Um, there's, you know, we've, we've asked for forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, like really set my family on this path of recovery and wholeness as a family. And so even like, I just, I know that the Lord is using that now, even to restore fa a fatherless generation, people that have not grown up with their fathers and that don't know their fathers, or, you know, even fathers that have been present, but emotionally haven't been present. And so in this moment, I think in this hour, God is raising up a rainbow revival that'll throw Jezebel off the roof again. I really think that people are surrendering their identity and, and walking into sonship and walking into the becoming sons and daughters. And he's raising up fathers, fathers that will will come beside this people group, you know, this rainbow revival and start fathering them. And I really believe that that's what our nation needs right now is healing from a fatherless generation. Mm. Luis, I, there's a lot of people that came, there's a, a lot of people that came out of that tragedy alive and, uh, and many didn't come to the Lord and some did. You dealt with PTSD. I'm sure others dealt with PTSD. How did 
the Lord help you in that, in, in the healing from that? Are you still, is that something that's still present in your life? I'm curious to hear about what yeah. God has done in that area. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of PTSD. And like I said, I was getting nightmares. Uh, my parents had brought me to SeaWorld one time and fireworks went off and I literally crawled into a ball on the floor because I heard the fireworks and I, I started freaking out. But in my process, um, there's a Bible verse that talks about like, you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the words of your testimony. And I think it's super powerful because literally every time I got to share my story, every time I get to share my story, it's a healing process because I'm literally overcoming. Of course, I had pastors, I had leaders, I had friends in my community that have helped me. I mean, I've not arrived. There's still things that the Lord is doing and that he will continue to do because he's faithful to finish the work that he started in me. And so, but I am so thankful that with PTSD, I've got the Lord. <laughs> I'd rather do it with him than in drugs, in sex, and trying to like fit all those things in to heal from PTSD. And so I've also met with counselors um, on the side as well that pour into me that I can talk to, friends and community that's super important. But I think that that's been the best thing, the best antidote medication that I've had, you know, doing this with the Lord and him by my side through scripture and, and people praying for me and pouring out to me was super important for my healing journey. Yeah. Um, talk to me about the HIV. Um, you had a diagnosis. Where are you with that? How is the Lord even helping you through that today? Yeah. So when I found out that I had HIV, I was super ignorant to HIV. You know, I, I knew people were getting it, but I just didn't really entertain the thought and which I should have. And so I remember just uh, thinking I was going to die right away. I, you know, that's all that you would hear that, oh, they get AIDS or, and so in my mind, I'm thinking, I just got out of this tragedy. Now I just find out that I'm not going to make it, that I'm not going to live long that, you know, and I, and I'm crying because I'm like, man, like, I don't know how long I have to live. Like, this is it. And in God's grace and mercy, I, I get more knowledgeable about it. I start meeting other people that, you know, were are HIV positive. And, I, and, you know, through God's grace and mercy, now I'm undetectable. And so what that means is that I take a medication pill every night. And that just allows me now, when I get married and have kids, no one would contract it. And so in God's grace and mercy of me being sexually promiscuous, which I, you know, all kind of things could have happened, but in that, even in that, he spared my life. And and so now I can live a long life. Now I can live like if I don't have it, you know, and I do believe that the Lord is faithful and that one day I'll be able to get behind a camera and show my positive report and my negative report that he's healed me from HIV. But till then, I'm still preaching. I'm still going to love Jesus and I'm still going to continue forward because this has been an open conversation for the church to have. This has been an open opportunity conversation for like even people that when I've gone to witness and, and preached at churches that no one knows they have HIV, it's been healing for them. And it's been like, wow, like you get to share your story and see what God is doing behind the scenes with people that do have STDs, that do have HIV. And so even in that, the Lord is doing something with the church. And so I'm super thankful um, that I get to walk this journey, even if it's with HIV. Mm. You mentioned uh, wife and kids. Talk to me about that desire, because some people can yeah. look at this testimony, they can look at your story, and they can say, you know, Luis, you were actually born this way, right? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that earlier, that yeah. you had those desires so early that you actually thought to yourself, man, mm -hmm. I, I'm born this way. But now you're talking about, man, one day... Yeah. Kids, wives, talk to us about that desire and what God did there. Yeah, listen... If you could have asked my mom a couple years back, she would have told me there is no way in heaven or hell that I would bring a female to the house. Like I was just really set in my was I thought I was born this way. 
And, you know, sometimes temptations make you think that you were born this way. But, you know, sometimes I want to hurt somebody. And sometimes I want to do certain things. Doesn't mean I was, you know, we were all born in sin. And so I just know that there's a Bible verse that I keep near to my heart. And it's that my ways become his ways. My desire has become his desires. And, you know, even with Eve, you know, eating that fruit, she desired it, you know. And so sometimes we may desire stuff that may not be well for us. That may not be God's uh, uh, good in God's eyes. But what I love about this is that even if I was born this way, John 3, 3 says that I must be born again. And so just, you know, surrendering my sexuality, surrendering my struggles to him, I know that I'm not alone and that I can make it till tomorrow, you know, and tomorrow's a new day with new blessings. And, and so um, it hasn't been easy. It won't be easy. But like I said, I get to do it with Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, with a community that loves me, that speaks identity into me. And so when those moments come, I remember His goodness, His grace. I remember that I am the reward of the sacrifice on the cross. Hmm. Luis, who is Jesus to you? Yeah, whew, loaded question. I love it. Jesus, <laughs> I am the reward for Him. He saw me when no one else saw me. When it, when I thought that no one knew me, he knew me. He knew every hair on my body. You know, Jesus was the only man that while I was sleeping with men and they were cheating on me and, and I was sexually promiscuous, he looked into my innermost heart desires and he said he loved me that it so much that it wasn't just words. He died for me on the cross and he gave his life for me. He didn't go sleep with my best friend. That is love, a man that would die for you. And so when I think of Jesus, I think of hope for tomorrow. When I think of Jesus and his blood that washed away my sins, cause I was a hot mess for a man to wash away and says, I've given you a restart. I've given you a redo. I want to be with him. I want to surrender. He's become a safe place for me. And so that he's become my healer. He's become my direction. He's become everything. And, and, and I know we throw out everything, but literally like without him, I am nothing. And so just to know that he's give, he's put his stamp of approval on me and identified me and made and called me into my identity as his son, as a man, I love him. I'm deeply in love with him. Luis, for people who are identifying with uh, the struggle of a homosexual lifestyle, for those people who are watching right now, what's a word of encouragement that you can give them? Yeah, I just want to say that whoever's listening and that you are struggling or you identify with LGBTQ, same-sex attraction, I just want to say you're not alone. You're not alone. And we are here. There are people here that love you. There's a church that is welcoming, that would love to walk with you, that Jesus knows and wants you more than your identity, your sexual identity that you, you may carry right now. And so I just want to say you're loved. And I just want to welcome you to our family. Um, I know it may be scary. I know that there's a million things running through your head right now, I, but you know, you don't have to like go really fast. You just, all you need is just to surrender your heart and say, Jesus, here I am. That's it. That's all he wants. And that's all he did with me. You know, sometimes we try behavior modification. Sometimes we try to jump the gun and all of a sudden I need to get married. And even in that, like it's changed for me. You know, I never thought that, that my ways would be his ways. His ways would be my way. I never thought that I would start having attractions for a female, that I would even open up that conversation in my mind that, you know, I'd give room to that. But that's what happens with a God that loves you. That's what happens with a man that died on the cross for you. All of a sudden, there are things that you can't explain. We're talking about the God that told Moses to open up the ocean. We're talking about a God that put Jesus inside of a virgin. And you can't do it with you. My, my, he did it with me and he's done it with so many others. And so, again, you're not alone. And I don't want you to fight this by yourself. Come join along. There's a rainbow revival on the horizon and God is raising up men and women like yourself that he is calling into the roles of evangelists, prophets, pastors. We need you. This generation needs you. 
Amen. Louise, for the parents who have kids who are in that lifestyle, your parents yeah. were parents who had a kid who was in that lifestyle and they didn't really know what to do. They didn't know how to love that kid the way that maybe he needed to be loved in that time. For those parents who are watching right now and are looking for answers, what can you encourage them to do? How can they love or, or what are some even practicals that you can share with them to yeah. help them in this process with their children? Yeah, it's a super good question. Um, as a son, I remember seeing my mom and dad on how in their love for me, they never compromise the Word of God. And I think that's super important for parents because right now, so many parents are affirming and so many parents are crossing the lines that when your children are in darkness, they need a city on a hill. They need a light tower to run through. But if they're getting compromised parents, they'll not know where to turn to. And so I thank my parents, honestly, for showing love and also standing firm on on biblical truth, on God's truth. There's a way to do it. It's the, the love of God that brings a man to repent. And so I really feel that in that love, they were able to stand truth on the Word of God. And with that, um, I really also feel that as there's a rainbow revival raising up, this rainbow revival, that there's a prophetic word actually that's tied to this, that a hundred thousand LGBT people will come to Jesus. And so we believe that when those a hundred and thousand LGBT people come to Jesus, they're going to need spiritual mom and dads. They're going to need parents, you know? And one thing that I love that the Lord did with my mom and dad is that while they were praying for my salvation, they didn't see that there was another assignment and they didn't see beyond that. And that's why they wouldn't invite you know, my exes to the house because they were just focused on save my son, turn my son straight. That And they, they had to refocus their, their uh, prayer to the Lord. And in that, the Holy Spirit met them and changed their prayers around. And so for parents out there, it's super important. Like, Sometimes their minds are made up. My mind was made up. And this is how you know that the 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 weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual. So you've got to press in and go in and meet the Lord. This is a thing right now where this is like the only um and I use this careful. This is the only sin that they want to get married. They want to live happily open. This is and so parents, I I want to say like that we're with you as well. And that you have to go into the prayer room. This is where you have to fight that battle on your knees in prayer. That's the only thing that's... And then standing beside people like us. You know, one thing that I like about the LGBTQ community is that they're strong because of their allies, their support. If the church would understand the support, the parents gathering together with people that have come out of the lifestyle, it would be a force to be reckoned because they understand unity. And so I really feel that when parents come together and start fathering and mothering these children, there's going to be an explosion of revival. Amen. Louise, any last words that you would like to share for people who are watching your testimony right now? Yeah, so my last words is I am super grateful for God to birth me in a time like this where I didn't even know if I was okay with the gender that I was as a man. And so... I just want to say that God loves you. I want to say that there's a man that died for you on the cross and he took all those beatings, all those lashes, blood dripped through his head and he's willing to forgive you right now. He's willing, he has his arms open so that you can come in and that he can get to know you because he wants to know you on that level. In fact, he probably already knows you. He's just waiting for that exchange. And so I just want to say you're loved. And I know people may not understand you. I know some of the church may not understand you, but God does. You know, the church actually, when I was going through my hurt and pain of the church, the Lord healed it. You know, that's his bride. We're the bride of Christ. We are the church. And so I remember just the Lord showing me through the scriptures that even he had church hurt. They put him on the cross 
And what he he loved us best while we were yet in our sin. And in fact, he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And so there's forgiveness and repentance in that. And so I just want to invite you to get to know Jesus uh, intimately, and he'll do the rest. Lastly, could you just pray for the people who are watching on the other side of the screen and are connecting with the different parts of your testimony? Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that you shed on Calvary. Thank you, Jesus, because you were the best example of what identity looks like, even when the enemy tried to rob it from us. And so I also want to partner, Lord, with the prophetic word that you said a hundred thousand would come out of the LGBT lifestyle and that there would be a rainbow revival. And God, we just thank you, God, for what you're doing in this hour when it seems dark, when it seems like all hope is lost. God, I just thank you that you are raising up men and women that not only just partner with truth, but partner with love because love rejoices in truth. And so I thank you, Lord, that we're having these conversations. I thank you that there are people watching us right now, that their hearts are burning, burning with you, and that they want to give their lives to you, but just don't know how. And so I ask that you would meet them right now where they're listening, no matter where they're at, and that the Holy Spirit would blow that wind on them like it blew on me, Jesus. And so I thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Lord, we repent for what the church has done in the past, not knowing. And so we say we are sorry. And so we repent for the nation, God, on how the nation has dealt with this conversation. And we're just so thankful that now we are listening to what the Holy Spirit wants us to say and that it's bringing unity in the body of Christ. It's bringing, it's, it's healing people, it's healing pastors, it's healing leaders, it's healing parents, parents that are ready to give up the towel. And Father, I just pray over them right now for a special anointing, God, that you would use them in a mighty way to, to even father and mother orphans in the church. And so I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing um, in this hour. Lord, I really believe that there's a move of God on the horizon and that, Father, we're never going to be the same again. And so I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.